There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, I'm very stoked to be talking to Ryan 500 of Cincinnati Band, 500 Miles to Memphis. Ryan is the singer and guitarist of the band, and they're getting ready to release a brand new record, Hard to Love, coming out on paper and plastic records in uh, just a few weeks here. By the time you hear this, we'll uh, just be coming out. And uh, we're going to talk some new music now with Ryan and uh, get into the new album. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you, Anthony? Oh, I'm. I've been. Uh, I've been really excited. I've been really looking forward to this. I know you guys have been around for a while, and I mean, I'm. I'm still kind of new to your music, but uh, I've been going back through the catalog. What is the uh, the new album? Hard to love. What is this? What number album is this going to be for the band? <laughs> oh man. Uh, so <laughs> this is a studio album number six. Oh wow. Uh, you know. We've released, uh, or I'm sorry, it's our sixth full length. Um, we've released some EPs and a couple live albums. Um, but yeah, this is the best one for sure. Don't listen to the old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's funny. You, uh, you said like, yeah, you guys have been around for a long time. I'm just talking. <laughs> that is so, uh, that is so true to 500 man like we have we're going on almost 20 years old now wow and uh it's very grassroots diy band and um you know every label that we've worked with and been signed to has been you know diy underground labels uh you know we've released a few just by ourselves um and as many shows and as many dates that we have played in the last 20 years we still get that where people are just like, who the hell are you? Like, or whatever, like, or I've heard of you, I've never listened to you. Uh, and it's just, it's wild because like we've had, you know, a lot of, well, what I would consider great successes as a DIY band, you know, like my, one of my favorite things is that, you know, a lot, one of our first records, like a lot of the songs were used during like for X games, uh, a lot of like extreme sports documentaries, uh, Travis oh, wow. documentary. Uh, I mean, even like at one point kid rock was like boosting us on his thing. And I mean, just to be clear here, I think that's cool. I don't give a shit about kid rock, nor do I, uh, like his music, that's uh, still neat. but it's i mean it it helped so it's hard to like well he did kind of like help us <laughs> but you know it's one of those things it's like oh man he's really not that cool trying to help us a little bit it's just like kind of fighting the hand that feeds you in a way yeah um so anyway i i digress it's just uh it's been a really wild ride a lot of ups and downs um mostly downs ah <laughs> 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 oh, shit man it's been a lot of fun uh anyway sorry i'm like kind of rambling here uh, no, there's nothing wrong with that that's what that's what i want to get into i'm going to talk about the the history of the band and like everything like i've i've really probably the last like month or two really diving into like your catalog and uh listening to stuff and like finally checking you out and i really enjoyed it like i one of those bands where really it's like why have i not been listening i didn't know about you but i wish i did because it's like oh i love this band like i've been listening to you 
for uh, forever now. But what I what I did kind of get from like looking, it does look like you tore a lot, right? Or like you know, right now it's probably a little uh, harder. But it seems like throughout the years, like you guys are very much a touring band. Like that's how a lot of people have probably like found you. Oh yeah, definitely. For us, it's always been about the live show and just you know tour 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 you know i mean we, we definitely like care and put a lot of effort into recording records but like the most time we've ever spent on a record is two weeks you know get into the studio get out immediately start touring and like uh th- that's kind of like where our heart has always been is that live show and um you know we, we definitely have some core members but you know just given the genre that we are it allows for a lot of different instrumentation and a lot of players to sit in with us. So, you know, like there have been tours we've done with full horn sections. There have been tours we've done with like organ, keys, fiddle, banjo. I, I mean, you, that's amazing. Just, like, you, you name it. And it's a lot of fun. So like um, every time, like a lot of towns that we go to, it, they every show they've seen of us has like been a different lineup. Um, you know, like we've even, we're currently still do we're like, we'll do a, a straight up bluegrass show. Um, or we'll do like the full band with like 10 pieces. Uh, so it, it keeps it really interesting for us, like the core members. Um, it's a lot of fun and it definitely a lot of diversity, uh, just, just between like, e- I feel like each year is like kind of like a different stepping stone in whichever direction you know like there were times when we we would play like straight up country and like we weren't even we were dialing back the punk and diving more into the countryside and we were like playing um dance halls in texas nice. and, you know at one point we we became the backup band for this country singer that went on to superstardom i can't mention names and i don't care to um but like we were touring with trace adkins and like oh, shit. shit like that and it's that's like, amazing <laughs> it's it's so stupid man like <laughs> i fucking hate that music <laughs> i hate that music um I, I never grew up listening to that music i don't care about it i still don't you know like my favorite <laughs> band growing up was no effects and it still currently is no effects and uh, it was just such a weird thing it, and at that point in our career, it was just about like, we got to put food on the table. We got to freaking eat. And there was a lot of mon- money in this country music thing. So like, let's play some country shows and try to make some cash. But you know, when that's done, we're going to go back and play the dive bars, like the milestone, the triple rocks, you know, like the punk venues and do our punk thing. Um, so yeah, it's just been a lot of ups and downs, but man, when you're living in a van, with your best friends and you're freaking starving, you know, you're willing to do what it takes to like make a little bit of cash and eat. So we were willing to play some country music. Cause at that time, like it was crazy. Like how much these venues were paying for this crap. Oh, I mean, like, I can't blame it. Like, I don't think anyone can fault you. It's like, if you can do that and that's like a way to make some money, it's like, totally like, like go do that. And that's like, it's still kind of like, yeah, it's probably like you said, it's not your cup of tea particularly, but it's like, it's still rad that that's a way you can make money. Like you can still be playing music and and be able to do that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's why, like, I will never fault a cover band for going out and making some cash. And it's oh, like, hell no. Cool, that's fine. If you can't write songs, 
and you're not interested in original music, but you still like playing guitar and performing and you can make money doing it, dude, have at it. There's always going to be a market. I mean, there's more of a market for that, really. Sadly, anything. you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's kind of easy to hate on as an original artist, but uh, I, I try not to because, man, I've been there and it's like, I can do this. I can take the easy road and make some cash. Like, I'm going to do that for a bit, you know, just take a breather. Uh, and then we'll get back to the punk rock, you know, when the time's right. Uh, so we did do that for a few years and then dove right back into, you know, like our own original material and doing our own stuff. And and like I said, we we toured as the backup band um, for this country singer for a bit. And, you know, it was fine. Uh, but that lasted no, maybe a year and a half. And then we were right back. Yeah, we went from Trace Adkins to like a dive bar in St. Louis playing for the bartender. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to the punk roots. Like, yeah, man. It's just such the life of a musician, you know, like everyone goes through it. Everyone don't, people does. don't realize that though. I don't think, cause like I, I talking to musicians, I always think that's interesting because yeah, it's not always like, playing arenas and doing that stuff like there's so many working musicians where it's like you play arena one night you're playing like you said you're playing a dive bar the next night like that definitely exists it's not all just like one thing including i feel like if you're a touring working musician like yourself yeah uh and and you know another thing is like there are definitely different tiers of musicians um you know you have your Oh, middle of the road musicians, which is what I consider myself. Like I'm capable, but I'm not like, I'm not going to blow your socks off with my banjo or guitar playing abilities. And then you have these guys that are like session players that just can show up and improv and play perfect. And they just like, they shred and those guys and gals stay busy and they'll play (laughs) anywhere as long as they're getting paid, you know? Uh, and they may not, most of them don't really write or have an interest in writing, but they can show up and just get the job done and kill. You know, a lot of them are in Nashville. Um, so that's what I was saying. Like when we have like people sit in with us, we usually grab musicians like that, that you can just send them the album a week before a tour and be like, Hey, here's 40 songs, learn this entire set and Maybe they'll listen to it. Maybe they won't. You just tell them what key the songs in. And <laughs> they can just do they it. Just, yeah, they can just play. Um, but I, I've always felt a little um, self-conscious because uh, I've always had to work so hard for every note that I play. You know, like uh, when I first started the band, you know, I was 19 and man, I could barely play and sing at the same time. I wasn't confident in writing. I was definitely not confident in my guitar playing. And it just felt like it took so long to get to the spot where I felt comfortable and like comfortable in my own skin as an artist. Uh, But then in the meantime, I'm playing with these other players and it's like, well, these are real musicians. Like, I feel like I don't belong up here. Like I'm a phony, like, what am I doing? And uh, it, it took me a long time to get over that. And, you know, I'm 37 now. And I honestly, after all this time, I'm like just now to the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with where I'm at. I'm good. You're finally like satisfied like as a, <laughs> as a, like a musician. Sat, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I got what I need to get the job done. I'm happy with it. 
you know. I feel like you'd have to realize competent enough. (laughs) I feel like you. Well, the other thing too is like, I mean, we've already, we've already said like, I mean, you guys, like you said, you've almost been doing this now for 20 years. You're on, I mean, album, uh, I mean, album seven, did you say, or six? And I can't Uh, remember. Full length. This is number six. Number six. Uh, So at that point though, yeah, I feel like, I mean, you, you found your sound, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, like at that point, you're probably, I, I could see where the satisfaction's there. Cause it's like, oh, I mean, you've gotten this far. So you had to know, you know what I mean? Like you had to know something or to kind of like, to kind of get there. So, I mean, that would kind of make sense where like at this point you're like, oh, okay. Like this is like, this is good. I have the sound. I know how to do this. Like I know how to do me and 500 miles to Memphis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. Like. I knew from the beginning what I wanted it to sound like, and it took me a while to get there, but I always knew in my head what I wanted the vibe of this band to be. Uh, And, you know, it it definitely took a while to get there. And I don't think we got there truly until about 2007 when we released uh, this album called Sunshine in a Shot Glass, um, which was well I, I mean probably still is our biggest album to date so far um but you know we got an opportunity to work with like a good producer it was well our first time working with a producer in like a real studio and uh he did a great job and he really taught me a lot like taught me how to sing the right way <laughs> taught me like yeah, some chords I was playing. It's like, hey, man, that's not even in the scale. Like, what chord are you playing right there? And it's like, I don't know, man. It sounds cool to my ear, you know? And uh, those are some of the creative things you come up with when you don't know what you're doing. You kind of stumble on these, like, really great mistakes. And it's like, no, I do like that. I want to keep that. It, it might sound grating, but it's part of the thing, you know? Um, and I think when you start uh, learning uh, music theory and getting into like really diving into just well I get music theory in general I think you can lose a little bit of that creativity you can lose a ton and, uh, and I I definitely felt that uh, because there was definitely a time where I was like all right we're professional musicians at this point I need to like really buckle down and get better and uh, I started just I, t- I took some lessons. I mean, I took guitar lessons halfway through my career, just constantly trying to learn something new, a new guitar technique, uh, you know, like the whole Chet Atkins chicken picking style, uh, everything, just running the gamut. And uh, the more I was learning and absorbing, I was kind of like everything from jazz to, you know, blues, country. And because the roots of my guitar playing always came from punk rock. So, which is just power chords. Oh yeah. And so you know, that's like, <laughs> that's just where I'm comfortable. Uh, so then I was having to learn all this other stuff. And once I did, I felt like it maybe kind of took some of the creativity away. So I had to mentally as your songwriting kind of strip that stuff away and just keep it simple, you know, and that and I still try to do that. And uh, so this latest album we just finished in my basement, um, I felt like we, we did a very good job of keeping it simple, keeping, keeping just like the melody in mind, the message, the lyrical message, and just letting it exist at a more simplistic level 
and then you can start adding layers on top of that you know with like fiddle and steel piano horns stuff like that but i think it's really got to start with a good song so try not i try not to overcomplicate stuff i mean not that i'm like you know a crazy virtuoso that could overcomplicate even if i wanted but <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying oh I'm t- and i totally the the theory thing and everything i think you're spot on i and i mean i'm i'm no theory like expert but i i took some classes in a like community college music theory but like going through that with friends like i had friends we'd like play music and shit together and the further we went in the more you put those barriers and rules because that's kind of what theory you know they're kind of putting you in that box it does it can fuck up your creativity where you no longer are playing in your unique style or anything you're playing in this real kind of like automated way where it's like this is how everyone's supposed to like look at music or do this and that like and an X amount of theory is fine. Like, I mean, knowing knowing note names and the names of strings and shit, like real basic stuff's good. But going too far in, I uh, I think can be very detrimental to uh, your creativity uh, musically. Like for sure. Yeah, but. man. I mean, you know, you can dedicate your life to the craft and become perfect at it, quote unquote. Um, and if that's the case, you know, maybe the symphony orchestra is a good route for that type of musician and go fucking go for it. Like make a killer living doing it, you know? Uh, but then I think you have, well, most of the punk rock community and guys like myself that, uh, just self-taught and just doing it for the love of the craft and just the love of the art. And, you know, I never intended you know, everyone wants to be a rock star, you know, like when you're a kid pretending to be Freddie Mercury or something, you know, uh, everyone wants to be a rock star. But when I started this band, dude, I didn't, I never thought it would ever be a career. I never thought anything other than like, this is fun. It's something I want to do. And, and that's that. It was just all about the love of the craft. Uh, and then we started doing it and, uh, I don't know. It's just been, it's been a crazy ride and not that like, it's not one of those like rock stardom rides where like rags to riches or anything like that. It's just like rags to lower middle class musician. And (laughs) that by itself has been a freaking wild ride. That's nice. But see, like, I think that's where a lot of people would kill to be because not like there's, there's this, there's this un not unrealistic like there are there are people who are at a certain level but it's such a small percentage the fact that you can make music for a living even if you're not like getting rich off of it like i feel like you're in a good spot there you know you may not you may not be like the biggest name in music but you've made a way to make a living and i mean there's there's thousands if not millions of musicians who could never figure that out you know who tried to do that and could never for whatever reason you know figure out how to how to make that they're living, you know, even, even if it is just that, even it's not being, you know, a millionaire and just being a working musician. So, I mean, I, I feel like you're in a, you're in a pretty good spot. I, I feel well, like. I, I got to interrupt you there because <laughs> that's not me. Oh, that shit. was me. Yeah. No, we, we all have day jobs at this point. Like, oh, we okay. All have, we all have to have day jobs to make ends meet at this point. But for, I would say from like 2005 to 2012, 13, I mean, it was just music. Like we didn't have to have jobs. We just played music. That's a nice run. And then, yeah, it was not a bad run. Um, and 
you know, as you get older, you start getting married, having kids and, uh, you know, real responsibility starts creeping in and it's like, well, yeah, music makes enough for me to make a living on my own, but, uh, definitely can't do it with kids. So then you got to start, you know, reevaluating and it's like, all right, well, I can still play like maybe 200 shows a year and work when I'm not on the road. And then, you know, like it slowly devolves and you got to start dialing back the shows to like a hundred a year and working and just trying to find jobs that'll work within your tour schedule. And, uh, it, that's pretty much where we are now. Now that, that, and also I, I'm sure too, touring has been, uh, much harder in, in recent, uh, recent time. So yeah, I, I can see that, uh, being an issue, but I want to, Oh my God, man, <laughs> you aren't say the least. And, yeah. And I do guys say though, like given the fact that we already were starting to work day jobs and just do that and dial back the shows by the time the pandemic hit, you know, we, we were okay. Like we were still able to work and it's like, well, all of our fucking tours canceled. All the promo on this album is, is done because we had just released, uh, blessed be the damned. We had just released in 2019. Oh, and shit. then, yeah. And it was very 20, recent. Yeah, I know. And you know, we were still, still hard in debt from that album because we missed an entire year and a half of touring to pay that debt off. Uh, which is what led us to this new album. Cause it's like, well, we still got to pay that debt off. How are we going to do it if we can't play shows? Well, let's just record our own album DIY in my basement. And, uh, by the time the pandemic lifts and we can start playing shows, we'll release this new record that we've put $0 in and hopefully that'll get us out of this debt. So, uh, that that's kind of, that's exactly where we are right now is, um, you know, we definitely didn't write the album to get out of debt. I mean, I started writing the record because I'm a writer and that's what I do. And I had all this free time all of a sudden, you know, like everyone else did. And uh, I just buried myself in my basement, uh, you know, updated my studio and started taking the recording process a little more seriously and just writing, you know, constantly. And before you knew it, we had a record and uh, we were so proud of it and i think it means more to us than any other album because like we did it ourselves <laughs> and like it's uh it's a very near and dear to our heart and i think it's uh sonically sounds maybe better than any previous record we've done but it still has like a lot of grit to it which i like uh I don't know. I, I really hope that our current fans will dig it. It's definitely a more aggressive album. It's definitely a more political album, too. Yeah, it's well, the other thing, though, I felt like you had a good, I mean, going, like, listening to the older stuff, and uh, I did get a chance to listen to the new album. Like, I feel like you have a good balance, though. Like, there is, it is more, I feel like it is more aggressive, but, like, there is still that, like, you know, countryside, that kind of, like, like it's not all just straight punk rock. Like there's still that that blend from the other records. You know what I mean? Like it's you kind of hit new territory, but it's still 500 miles to Memphis, in my opinion. Yeah, and I <laughs> our uh, our new guitarist Nate Hickey he he was a big fan of the band before he joined, 
And I think that was like his big point on this record was like, look, it's like people want to hear the 500 sounds. Like, do not forget the train beat. Do not forget, you know, what got you here. It's like, I know you want to do this whole like straight punk thing and you want to like really go into this other direction, but dial it back. It's like, just give me a couple. It's like, give me a couple songs that are just like this vibe. And uh, so, and, and he was a big help in songwriting too. Like me and him met, you know, every Wednesday night for like a year, uh, you know, via um, Skype and uh, just had these little songwriting sessions. And he ended up co-writing uh, this song called A Pound of Flesh, which ended up being single number three. And it's a great song. I'm like, I love it. And it's a very... It's a very 500 country punk train beat type of song, uh, and which is what exactly what he wanted. So, anyway, if left to my own devices, <laughs> I think <laughs> the album might have gone off the rails. Uh, but you know, I think some of the band members kind of reminded me, like, "Hey, let's pull it back. Let's don't forget, <laughs> don't forget the sound." Yeah, I could see nobody that. wants 500 to be Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. Surprise! <laughs> oh, that is great. I, I mean, I could see that though too, because I mean, if you're self-recording and basically self-producing this one, you do have to keep yourself kind of in line because you're also your own producer. You know, you're not you're not someone there kind of going like, oh, you're kind of straying from this sound. You're going to do this. So, I mean, I feel like that's probably new too, keeping each other in check. Like, like all the even writing via Skype, like. I take it you've never written or recorded an album like this ever before. Never, <laughs> ever, ever, never. Um, the closest was Blessed Be the Dam because my bassist lives in Milwaukee. So <clears throat> he and I co-wrote most of that record. And um, so we would just kind of meet over the phone. I would record stuff, send it to him. He would give me notes or he would like record stuff on voice memos on his cell phone and send it to me. So like we did kind of do the long distance thing, but the pandemic was definitely different Um, because I will hell before the, you know, quarantining, like I had never done, you know, video calls. Like I always thought it was weird to FaceTime with someone when you can, I don't know. I agree with that. So awkward, (laughs) but now it's just totally normal. And, and, you know, like wearing a mask in public is like, I think it used to be weird. You'd see people wearing them at airports, you know, in 2019. And now everyone's wearing them, at least, you know, they should be. And it's totally normal. So it's just one of those weird things that's like was totally weird. But now is like it's like second like nature it. now. It's like you just yeah. you don't even think about it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that uh, going Going to the record too, like you said, this is your first time like recording and stuff. Did this does this make you want to jump further into recording, or did it go the other way and just makes you want to stay away from the recording, like that part of the recording process? Oh man, I will tell you right now, I unless someone gives me an advance, I will record in my basement for the rest of my life. I love you it. enjoyed it. Yeah, and I've always like dabbled um with it you know god even back in early days when uh i mean some fruity loops you remember fruity loops i've i've heard the name i never used it uh yeah just like messing around with some of these weird primitive uh midi controllers back in the day i always kind of like dabbled in that and then garage band became a thing 
in like the early aughts. And I always kind of tried to stay up on some of the digital, you know, like the dolls and the technologies. And, um, you know, I would always, I've always demoed our records like by myself at my house and then give it to the band. And then we go into a studio and record it for real. So like I've always had a little bit of experience, but never took it seriously until I had to. And, uh, so we started recording and recorded the first few songs and I was like, guys, I think this is, we can do this ourselves. Like it's, this sounds good. The only thing was that I was concerned with was the drums because like, man, drums are very hard to get to sound <laughs> yes. right. Like guitars, yeah, man, you could record guitars and vocals just about freaking anywhere. And you know, EQ them the right way and like it can you can make it work you cannot fake drums <laughs> no <laughs> I mean unless you're using MIDI um, but that was what took the longest like we recorded the drums I, I took my rig and I went to my drummer's house and we just set up in his basement and recorded him live and you know we didn't spend a ton of time doing a million takes like he learned it ahead of time and he's he's such a phenomenal drummer anyway um but he like pretty much knocked out every song in like three or four takes and then i took it back to my house and just spent i mean days editing getting everything to sound right and crystal clear because like i still want the record to sound gnarly but i want it to to still be able to compete on a professional level like i don't want you to listen to our record and be like oh that's a basement record yeah. I want you to hear our record and think like, "Ah, hey, it's a rock band. Sounds good." You know. Oh yeah, it, it doesn't uh, so that, sound that like a basement intent. recording at all. Well, thank you for saying that because I worked on it every day for <laughs> a year. Uh, so again, this kind of goes back to like, there's no natural talent in my body or my soul. Like everything I do, I have to work three times harder than everyone else, and recording is no different. Uh, I mean, I was getting like three to four hours of sleep a night working on this stuff. Cause you know, during the day I got to work and then I have kids and you know, you got to take care of the kids dinner. And then by the time the kids go down to bed, it's like, all right, I've got from like eight thirty PM till 3 AM to do music. And that's what I did, man. I give you, I give you credit. Cause yeah, you're right. I mean, you have so many other things too going on outside of music. Tend to also be writing the songs, recording that, like everything sounds like it's just in band. Like all of you guys are doing this stuff. That that is a lot to uh, that's a heavy load to bear. But also big credit to you because like you did what you had to do. You're like, oh, we're kind of in like a shitty situation here with everything. Let's go make our own album. That's that's like our choice. Like that's what we can do. So I mean, I give you huge credit for doing that part. And yeah, I was wondering that because like before too, like talking to you, it didn't sound like like with uh, like studio wise, like, you know, some people love sitting in the studio and fucking around and like really getting into that. Some people just want to go in, get a record done and get out. So like that, that's cool that you've you've gotten into the more technical side of it. Yeah, we've never spent when we were doing studio records, we've never spent more than two weeks in a a studio like we've always we're in and out like as quick as possible. I think being a live band, honestly, man, every time we go to the studio, like it's not the recording process. that takes the longest amount of time. It's like 
the engineer trying to get the right sound that he wants to get, which is fine. I mean, we've worked with some great engineers. I'm not knocking any of them. They're phenomenal people and talented. But that is what takes the longest. It's like, all right, so the first week is basically just drums. And, you know, you spend hours and hours just trying to get the right kick drum sound and then the right snare sound. And it's like, God, Jesus Christ, fucking shit. That gets me. tedious as hell. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it, it can be brutal. Um, but as far as like the takes and the recording itself, I mean, everyone does, I don't know, three or four takes and they're in and out. Uh, so it, it's a pretty fast process when you're actually tracking. Uh, but yeah, this, it's just all setup time it takes forever. I feel like touring too, that has to, to your credit too. I feel like the fact that that has to help a little too, like the fact that you do tour as much, it's like that has to make you tight and connect in a way where then when you go in studio, like, you know, it, it's kind of second nature, easier to do cause you've been doing it so much. And on top of that, I could also see where being such a live band, you wouldn't want to overdo it in the studio because you want to go replicate that live. Like that's how people are hearing yeah. you a lot for like the first time. Like I would imagine you very much want to recreate that and not make it go like you sound totally different from the band on the record versus the band I'm seeing live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we I'm not tooting our own horn, but I am going to toot my band's horn. We get the compliment all the time that we're better live than we are in the studio that's a good compliment records. that's a i feel uh, like that's a better way to be than the other way around that's a good compliment oh for sure uh but that is 100 percent my bandmates because they are all i mean they're they're really good musicians man like you know me talking about just like having to like work for everything those guys carry me like sure i might be the singer and write the songs but dude none of this is possible without them uh, and they're all like my bassist Noah. He it, he's one of the best rock and roll bassists I've ever heard in my life. And uh, he's not even a bassist; like that's not even his first instrument. Like oh, he's really? a, a he's a guitarist and a songwriter, and like he has his own band. But for some reason, the bass just like makes sense to him, and it clicks. And the day that I heard him play bass, I was like, dude, why are you playing guitar and singing? Like the bass is like second nature you what are you doing and he's like oh i don't know man it's just only four strings it's like you know <laughs> it's like it just makes sense like yeah you need to do that <laughs> with me <laughs> uh and uh and my drummer kevin hogel he is he's kind of a little semi-famous in newport kentucky um he was when he was 12 years old he was sneaking out of his house to play i mean i don't know how many different bands he was playing in but he was sneaking out of his house at 12 years old to play with these metal bands because he was like the only drummer in town that could play fast and knew how to do double kick and he was fucking 12. that's so sick that's so yeah, fucking cool so that, yeah and that's where he comes from i mean he was never a punk rock guy he's always been a metal guy and then he went off to college and uh, he went to Moorhead State for percussion and, you know, graduated and he became a percussion teacher, I think, at Newport High. Um, and he did that for a bit. And then he immediately just started getting offers and touring with, I mean, everyone. Uh, and eventually, uh, you know, he, me and him, we crossed paths. And I mean, I knew how fucking killer he was because he was playing in one of my favorite bands called Moth. 
And I just was like, dude, I know Moff just broke up. Uh, I know you're not playing with anyone. Would you please play with me? And he just like, he learned literally my entire set in one night and showed up the next day to our show and played flawlessly. <laughs> it was nuts. That is amazing. He's, yeah. He's been in the band ever since. Uh, so anyway, what I'm getting at is like all of the guys uh, are the reason that, you know, that we're good live and that we can get in and out of a studio. It's, it's all them, man. It is not me. Hey, that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing to have a, uh, a strong band behind you at all. You know, nah, but. it's, it's the only reason that I've been able to do all these years, been able to do it. It's, it's all them. No, that's right. And, and again, sometimes people can't find that either to be able to find musicians that you connect with in that way too you seem by the sounds of it you seem like you've been very fortunate with that same with even finding like talent where you're like you can like just give these people music overnight and all of a sudden like oh yeah i know it like i can do that flawlessly mm, yeah but, well and, and you know the other thing and really the most important thing to me is playing with guys you can get along with have a beer with you know just hang out because there have been I've, I've gone through a lot of lineup changes over the years i mean especially in the beginning um, and you know, you jump on tour with someone and you immediately get to know them very well and intimately because you are living on top of each other in a van, you know, just trying to make ends meet and like, well, when are we eating dinner next? I don't know, dude, we're sleeping on someone's floor tonight and maybe they'll be kind enough to let us have a bowl of cereal. And you really get to know someone when that those are the stakes <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine uh, and you know a lot of guys aren't into that which is understandable not everyone wants to be poor and you know just living for uh being on tour and playing hopefully you make enough gas money to make it to the next gig you know a lot of people don't want to live that way uh and i get it it's a bitch i i would think too i mean that's that's also a big part like you can be talented as hell but if you're like an insufferable prick that no one wants to be around, like the but outside of the like hour and a half you're on stage, that's a big problem. You know, that's that's a that's a big. I would assume, like you were just saying, that is a big part of it. Where it's like, oh yeah, we got to like get along too. We can't just like musically kind of connect. There's the other part where we got to actually like each other as well because we're crammed. We're crammed together going around the country. Absolutely. Um... You, you, I think that's 90% of it. If you're in, you know, a DIY original working band, um, you have to play with guys that you are friends with, if not brothers with, because that's 90% of the battle. It's not learning the songs. Anyone can learn the songs and the parts, but not everyone can learn how to be courteous, respectful, and just a good person like you can't teach that stuff oh absolutely not no and i wanted to also ask you i mean we're talking you know 500 miles to memphis but going a little further back uh for music like was this your first like bit like real real band or were you playing in many bands prior to this one <laughs> this is um hmm. this is the first band that i have fronted uh, so I started it when I was 19, but prior to that, I had two bands in high school, uh, neither of which I wrote or, you know, were, was the singer of, I just played guitar. Um, my first band 
was Mad Cal and the Lunatic Milkmen. We were 15 years old and we were all learning our instruments at the same time. Uh, and, you know, so that, that's it's a garage band. And we wanted so bad to be the Suicide Machines. Nice. Uh, and failed. Uh, <laughs> but it was fun. And then after that, kind of got into this band called Clyde uh, when I was, I guess, 16, 17 ish. And, uh, that was more of like a Radiohead flaming lips band. Oh, nice. uh, and the, the guy, the lead singer of that band, he was actually fucking phenomenal songwriter and lyricist. Um, but you know, just, I don't really know why he kind of gave it up, but, uh, anyway, so yeah, I graduated high school, um, moved to Dallas, blah, blah, blah. And then at the age of 19, I started 500. And that's that's been my only band since. That's awesome. I mean, the longevity of that is uh, is great. I mean, I'm sure, I assume, and I think you kind of said earlier, but yeah, I assume at the beginning of this, you you probably didn't, didn't think about like being together as long as you have now or doing as much as you have even. <laughs> Man, time is so weird. Like, I can't believe, I guess it's been, see, it started in 2003, so yeah, 18 years now. So, I just, it's so weird. Like, I remember seeing this magazine article uh, in Cincinnati. There's this band uh, called the Snowshoe Crabs. They're they're a cover band, whatever. Everyone knows them around here. And this magazine article came out, it's like 25 years. And I was like, holy shit, these guys are fucking old. You can't play... (laughs) in a band for 25 years jesus and uh and here i am it's been 18 (laughs) years since i read that article and it's like oh my god yeah i can i can see i can see hitting 25 years (laughs) i mean i don't know if you've thought of it yet but that would mean next year you have been in the band as long as you were not in the band in your life if i'm doing the math correct if you started in 19 and next year's the 19th year of the band you've been like in the band as long as you weren't in the band I know, dude. It's yeah, <laughs> right. It's crazy. Uh, dude. and you know, uh, we haven't even touched on our the ace up our sleeve, which is David Rhodes Brown. Uh, I'm not sure how, how much research you've done on us, but um, I don't David know about Rhodes, this. David Rhodes Brown, he's our steel player, and he's been in the band since 2006, um, and he's he's twice my age. And he is, he was in this fucking legendary band called the Warsaw Falcons. Um, And they're kind of, I mean, dude, they were punk in 77, you know? Oh, that's awesome. The original fucking original. Oh yeah, man. I I think he was actually playing in a punk band in like 75. So, I mean, you know, he is it right, right at the birth of punk rock. You know, he, he was there and playing it. And he's this like seven foot tall cowboy. And he's always been this like fucking Keith Richards, rock and roll singer, guitarist fronting this band. And just for a random twist of fate, he started picking up this uh, instrument, the lap steel and kind of getting into country music and playing old Hank Williams songs. And um, it was, Oh, I don't know. It was the early aughts there. uh, Hank Williams, um, it would have been Hank Williams 90th birthday 
I threw oh, the, uh, the Hank Williams bash. So it was, you know, 500 miles to Memphis and a bunch of local bands uh, playing a tribute show to Hank Williams. And, you know, all week prior to this show, I was getting phone calls from this like old raspy sounding, you know, cigarette smoker. <laughs> like <laughs> This guy's like, hey, my name's David Brown. I want to come uh, play some lap steel at this show, yada, yada. I mean, <laughs> if you know Dave, he's got the voice. I mean, he sounds like Darth Vader. I mean, his <laughs> voice is so deep and raspy, and he's just like the coolest fucking guy in the world. But I didn't know him at that point. Um, so I was getting all these voicemails, and I'm like, oh, God, who's this crazy person? What's going to happen? Because <laughs> if you've ever been to an open mic night, you know, like fucking crazy people just show up to local stuff and like, you don't know what you're going to get. So <laughs> I was, I ignored his calls and come the day of the show, you know, we're setting up on stage uh, and this seven foot tall cowboy walks in with a tiny amp and a lap steel case. And he walks right up to me and he's like, Hey, I'm David Brown. I've been calling you all week about this show. I'm here to play lap steel. And I was like, oh, dude, I don't even know you. Uh, I'm like, yeah, all right, dude. You know, you can play with us, but, like, I can't speak for anyone else. You know, like, the opening acts that are playing. Like, if you want to play Hank Williams songs with them, like, you got to ask them. Like, I don't know. But you're welcome to play with us. Sure, why not? Well, anyway, uh, he gets up and, you know, he plays with uh, one of the bands before us. And it's like, oh, wow, he actually knows how to play that thing uh this is cool and then we get we get up and play and he just kills it and uh and i'm just like so pumped to have like a steel player playing with us and i was like hey man uh we're gonna play some originals what do you think about playing some of our shit and he's like yeah lay it on me what keys it in one of those guys so it's like all right cool it's in the key of g let's go and he killed it and he was like adding you know riffs and stuff that like I hadn't even imagined in my mind. And it all of a sudden in one night, 500 miles to Memphis, like became the, this sound that, you know, if you go listen to us now, like that's the sound, like loud guitars, steel, you know, wild drums, like that's our thing. And it, the birth of it was that night. So anyway, after the show, uh, I was like, Hey man, I'm sorry I didn't answer your calls. I feel like an asshole. Like, you are incredible. Would you consider playing with us again? <laughs> like I said, he's like, he's a giant. And he takes his big bear glove hand and puts it on my shoulder and just shakes me. And he's like, hell, I'll just join your damn band. <laughs> I was like, awesome, sweet. Oh, fuck and yeah. And he joined our band. And shortly after that, I was getting phone calls left and right. It's like, dude, I heard David Brown join your band. It's like, yeah, yeah, he did. How did you know? And how do you know David? Well, I didn't know, but he's this legendary rock and roller that's been in the scene forever and took a shine to us. And, you know, and, and it, it's very humbling, uh, you know, because I, I didn't know him and I felt like an ass. And then I started doing research and I was like, oh, my God, why the hell is this guy playing with us? Because he's incredible. Um, but, you know, for some reason. He decided to play with us. Uh, you know, he, he's humble himself and he will tell you, it's like, ah, you know, I wasn't really doing anything and I, I'm older and I just kind of wanted a second shot at doing something different. And, uh, you know, we took him around the country and, you know, 
because prior to that he hadn't really ever toured he just uh played regional shows and as great as he was you know like he was almost signed to virgin at one point uh he was just one of those cases of like a a really phenomenal musician great songs he had everything but just never quite broke and should have that's always a bummer when that happens it's very sad man he's so good like his his original material and you can't find it on the internet it doesn't exist on the internet right now um but if you were to listen to get a hold of some Warsaw falcon stuff i'll try to track some down for you i'd love to hear Uh, it oh my god man it's it is rock and roll as fuck it is so good the dude has the best singing voice for rock and roll period oh i gotta hear this Oh my god, dude! He's got like uh, uh, money, money, Boston's. What's that guy? Oh, Dicky Barrett. Gro- yes, he's got a growl. Like I like that. that. I like that a but lot. He's a little more smooth. He can still sing real smooth and pretty. And then when you get to the choruses, it's this loud growl, and it's like wow, phenom. It, I you know, like it's just a rare talent. Yeah, those musicians. Like it, it does blow my mind. The people who can just walk up on stage with a band that he's never played with before. And just, cause I mean, even if you know the song, you've never played it with that handful of people. And then to even just play your originals, just go, yeah, what's the key? Like I'll just, I, I basically I'll improvise. Like I can make this up, like just give me the key and I can just go with it. Like I will never understand. Like I, I am like envious of those kinds of musicians. It's not, yeah. I, it's not something I feel like I can do or have the confidence. Just go, yeah, fuck it. I'll do it whatever and then i'll just join your band too like that sounds good (laughs) yeah this all works for me and you know still to this day uh one of my favorite things is we show up to a venue and you know the staff is there maybe there's some people mingling around and they wonder like who's the old cowboy man the marlboro man basically (laughs) the marlboro man yeah like who is this guy like, does, is he in the band? Like, he gets that question all the time. It's like, are you with the band or are you in the band? He's like, no, I'm in the band. You know, just because <laughs> I'm old doesn't mean I can't play. And anyway, so, like, I think folks are very intrigued by him when they first see him because he's just a seven-foot-tall cowboy. And then he gets on stage and he starts just shredding with us. And he steals the show. Like, everyone like all I'm, i can see the crowd you know like we're playing our songs doing our thing and everyone's eyes like half the time are on david <laughs> and i don't blame him but i mean he's just he's so interesting and he's so so much fun to watch it makes sense too because like when, when you were saying like i like i started thinking about some of your songs and like i do love it because including on like the more fast punk ones the the song for the most part is this like fast punk song going but layered in there you have this great like fucking steel guitar and shit like really layered in there in this way that does give it a unique sound like i mean if you're if you're not you almost you almost have to listen like you are hearing it but if you don't realize it it blends in so well you don't even realize like this sounds unique yeah. but you don't know why and it makes sense like you're describing that cuz that sounds just like a lot of those songs, I'm thinking in my head, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that is like detrimental. Like, it's a huge part of your sound." Very, very much. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, I'll write some riffs for him, and the way he plays it, it kind of sounds like you know, like a third guitar. 
Um, so it's not when people hear the word steel, they think of you know Nashville pop country pedal steel. This is an old school straight steel. There's no pedals, and it it lends itself uh, uh, very much to like a more blues sound. Uh, obviously, like a Hank Williams sound. I mean, li- literally listen to any Hank Williams song. That's straight steel, uh, and that's what he plays. But he definitely, I mean, he dials up the distortion first off. And then he plays it in a way that it kind of can sound like just a regular guitar if you're not really paying attention. So on our records, it is layered and mixed in very uh, just right with the guitars. You know, it's not like on top of everything. It's just it's layered in there and it does make an interesting sound. Uh, I think one of my favorites, uh, we just released this single called Way to the World. And it's kind of like a more mid-tempo rock song you know and the steel line that he puts on that in the chorus is my favorite work he's ever done nice and I, you really i think you have to like be listening for it to hear it but then once you walk in and hear it you can't listen to anything else <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so good he's done honestly like I, I do like there's been a few songs that like on and it wasn't till like second or third listen but i would listen to it and that's when I'd start to hear him. You know what I mean? Like you would hear it. Yes. You, you would honestly hear it the first couple of times, but you don't realize it. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it starts, you can hear it and you start picking it out by itself. Like you're, you're listening to what he's playing before you kind of heard it blended in. Now you're like zeroing in on what he's doing and like, yeah, right. it just, it works so well. Yeah. And then, you know, also don't forget like when you're listening and then you finally hear him, it's like, well, shit. Also we have uh, fiddle. And we have, you know, like a killer drummer and, you know, the, there's, there's good guitarists in the band too. Like there's, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, and, and it's, it's just so much fun, man. Like I'm probably the luckiest, you know, front man in the world. Uh, just, it's just been such a blast playing with those guys. For you. I mean, I know you play both guitar and banjo, which one is harder to play? I've always, I've, I've never really screwed with the banjo, and I've always kind of wondered that. Is is one more difficult than the other? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I started on guitar. Guitar is my first instrument, so uh, banjo, I would say banjo is harder. Um, but it just depends on what you're wanting to do. You know, um, depends on the genre that you're playing. You know, like guitar can. Guitar can be harder, and it, they're just totally different, really. Like, they're stringed instruments. They're fretted instruments. Um, but the banjo, you know, it, you know if you're finger-picking like I do, uh, it is just a totally different – I don't know. I, I just look at them completely different. But I, I will say banjo has been harder for me because I just started playing it I don't know, five or six years ago. Oh shit! Yeah, it. you're still pretty new. That's not that's not terribly long, I guess, compared to how long you've been playing guitar. No, no, not at all. Because we had, uh, you know, for the most part in the you know the first ten years of our career, we would just have banjo players sit in occasionally, and I always loved that instrument and what it added. Um, so I just decided to learn it, and then my. Uh, well, she was my girlfriend, my, my wife, but was my girl before we were married, bought me a Deering banjo and I have not looked back. Like 
pl- I still play it almost every single day. Like it's just such a fun, weird little hillbilly instrument, man. You can do <laughs> so much with it. Uh, and uh, w- one of my good friends, uh, he his name is John Pedigo. He's in this band called The O's, um, and he plays banjo. So like I was able to like call him up, pick his brain, and kind of like get tips from like yeah, what I would consider a semi expert you know, on the instrument. So he was a big help. That's awesome. That's nice to have, including you jump in something like into uh, something like that. I, I would think that would be nice to have. You said now you said you do like a finger picking style, right? On banjo. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, Cause I was going to ask, cause what I would think would be one of the biggest different things is I feel you have to do different strumming patterns than you would on, maybe I'm crazy, but like if I'm thinking of banjo, I feel like you would strum differently. You might not be able to get away with the same way you could play guitar. And maybe I'm totally wrong, but that's kind of what I get from it. Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely strum a banjo. Um, a lot of guys play this uh, style called claw hammer, uh, which is uh, you wear – well, you can. Usually those claw hammer guys will have you know thicker uh, index finger fingernails, or you can wear – like this giant pick that looks like a fingernail and you, you strum down, basically you strum down with all four of your fingers and then your thumb can do some, uh, maybe some bass walks as much as you can walk a bass on a banjo, but it, it can act as a little more melody while your fingers are kind of flicking downward, uh, strumming. So that's called claw hammer style. And it's a really interesting sound. Um, I think, Personally, no offense to anyone out there. I think claw hammer is a little easier uh, than traditional finger picking style. I think finger picking, um, finger picking just is more interesting to me. I think it sounds more intricate. Uh, it's harder, um, and it's more traditional bluegrass style that I like. With you know the flattened Scruggs style, I'm sorry, like Scruggs style banjo. I think is the best style of banjo. Uh, and that's all finger picking. And uh, it, it takes a long time to figure out how to do it. Um, but then also, I mean, you can just use a guitar pick and just strum the thing. A lot of people do that. See that? Yeah, see, that's always, I don't, because it is kind of foreign to me because I'm like, I look at it, it kind of looks like it, like it is a string instrument shit, but I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I'm always so uh, curious about it. So that's that's very interesting to me to hear that you kind of like go different ways with it and shit. I, I'll play one sometime. But uh, I want. Oh man, they're they're fun. They're tuned to open G, so you literally don't oh, even shit. have to do anything. Oh, you can just you play open fucking strings. Left- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh damn! I'm just gonna play every yeah, song and, in the key uh, of G. If you get a slide, oh man, it's so much fun. You can like make a lot of really cool sounds with just a single finger going up and down the you know the neck. It, it's a lot of fun, man. It, it's I'll such play a weird, with one. like I said, it's such a weird little instrument. That's rad. I wanted I wanted to talk because I feel like you're in a in a good place for this just because you're like right on that border of uh, states. But like, what's the local scene like for you there? I, I the one thing I've only been to Cincinnati once, but that's kind of what I noticed. I feel like there's a lot of other places around there to play. Like you have that city, and then a lot of stuff surrounding you. Um, well, if you're a touring band. I don't think there's a much better, more centrally located spot than Cincinnati. So, you know, we're not terribly far from going straight up to, you know, say Minneapolis. Like that's, that is really, eh, I mean, you could, if you wanted longer drives, 
you could just tour straight up. I mean, maybe hit Milwaukee and then jump over to Minneapolis. Like you could get there in two days. Oh, it's not bad and at then, all. Yeah. And then, you know, and then obviously Chicago is only five hours away. And then there's a shitload of college towns, Columbus, Indianapolis, uh, and then going south, I mean, Nashville is a four-hour drive. And then you have all of Tennessee, like Knoxville, um, Bristol, Asheville. I mean, everyone's, well, horny for Asheville these days. <laughs> um, and New York City, I think, is 12 hours. So, I mean, it's just so centrally located. That really is perfect. My God. Like, and I was oh, just thinking yeah. of Kentucky and, like, Indiana and shit. Like, you're right. Like a lot of stuff, you are not far at all. You can do that shit in the, on a weekend. Oh yeah, I forgot Louisville and Lexington. I mean, we when we play Louisville and Lexington, we usually drive down, play the show, and drive back home and are in our own beds that night. Uh, fucking Detroit. Detroit's like three and a half hours. Uh, it's just it's awesome. Uh, but you, I think your question was about the, <laughs> the local music scene. Well, it's kind of both though. Cause like, that's kind of how I start. I, I kind of did that. Cause yeah. I asked that. And then I brought that up. Cause it's like, you are centrally located in such a good spot. Yeah. Uh, well, we were talking about this earlier in super drag. Fuck. So, yeah. Super, yeah. Super drags, a Knoxville band. And, uh, they used to tour state route 75. Like that was their bread and butter. I mean, Dude, just go from Knoxville straight up 75, you know, you'll hit uh, Lexington and then Cincinnati and then go from Cincinnati up to Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee. I mean, and then the entire state of Michigan. I mean, there's just like there's so much on just on State Route 75. And then if you want to go south, uh, you know, like Birmingham and then. <laughs> Sorry, Alabama. I'm not being super kind. Birmingham and Tuscaloosa. <laughs> I love playing Birmingham and Tuscaloosa. Other than that, we haven't really played anywhere else uh, in Alabama, and obviously Atlanta, then down in Florida. But uh, you can just do like a killer tour just on State Route 75, and that, that's what Super Drag used to do back in the day. And that's uh, you know that's what a lot of Cincinnati bands do as well. I mean, that's like a major Midwest tour. Like, all those cities you just mentioned, like, that's hitting most major markets, I feel like, in the Midwest. Like, all just on yeah. that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, in the Midwest. And, man, really, that has been the bulk of our touring has been the Midwest. You know, like, New York, sure, yeah. We've, we've played New York plenty of times, but compared to, like, Charlotte, North Carolina, Nah, we haven't played New York as nearly as many times. Um, and then, you know, obviously heading out west uh, is a little more difficult. Uh, you know, you get St. Louis, Kansas City, and, you know, off to Denver, and then you start getting into really long drives in between <laughs> each gig. <laughs> oh, those desolate states, too, where there's like, no, I doubt you're playing much in Wyoming or Montana or shit like that either. There's a lot of places where I yeah. doubt there's much to play at. Uh, we played, oh man, I'll never forget this. We were, I think it was Billings, Montana, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's like the major, uh, that's like, I think the only real major place there. That and Bozeman. Well, Bozeman! It was, oh, was it no, Bozeman? No, no, it was Billings. No, I'm sorry. But we did play Bozeman. It was Billings, and it wasn't even in the town proper. It was like, this um well this venue was 
it was a weird like mixture like they took a double wide and stuck it into a barn and just like welded them together (laughs) and uh we rolled up to this venue i can't even remember the name of it it was a long time ago and we rolled up to this venue and it's like in the middle of nowhere we're looking at this venue and we're just like guys i am not sure about this (laughs) and uh we almost left because it was just so uncomfortable like we just have you seen the movie the green room no stewart with patrick stewart no i've never seen it oh my god it's fairly recent movie you have to watch it um these uh the these these kids in a punk band start you know they're on their first tour and they play this uh skinhead bar in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and shit gets wild and that was what was running through my head when we were <laughs> at this uh, this place in Bozeman, or in Billings. And uh, so anyway, we decided like, ah, screw it, we'll, we'll stick around and see what happens. And there's literally no, we're there to load in. It's like seven o'clock, I think. And there's literally, the bartender's not even there. No one is there. It's just locked down tight. Well, eight o'clock rolls around and we're like getting ready to leave. And the uh, bartender pulls in unlocks the door we load in we have to set up our own sound run our own sound and we're just like god well we've come all this way we got nothing else to do in this town so might as well play and we thought we were just gonna end up playing for the bartender well shit 10 o'clock rolls around and like the entire town was there it was one of the best shows we'd ever played everyone was super cool super nice fucking punk rockers in the middle of nowhere (laughs) down to have a good time and uh yeah and that's kind of that was like a lesson for me is just like man as much as we try our best not to judge it we can't help it sometimes and i was pleasantly surprised now was one of the one of the best gigs i ever played now does this happen you you kind of have me thinking but like like do you do you notice that when you tour like do you tend to have better receptions do you think in like more obscure smaller areas that don't always get shows because i have been some of the best shows i've seen are in areas where you don't if you live in a city you can go to a show every night of the week some of these places like you're talking about how many Mm players how many people are going to play there yeah uh absolutely man um you know cities are a lot of people are jaded they've just they've seen everything they've seen it all um cities are tough but yeah the smaller towns if you, and that's the thing too is like a lot of smaller towns just don't have music venues but the few that do and they really invest the time and effort that goes into running and operating a venue which hats off to those people because that's a crazy business to get in um it, it really becomes a hub for that community because like there's not a whole lot else to do if you grew up in a small town like i mean which i did i grew up in a really small town with it was actually a dry county so there were no bars oh geez there was nothing um and when you have something like that installed in your town dude it just it takes off and and people love it and it not only is it fun but it brings you know kind of brings some art and culture to these rural kids who i mean they're starved for shit to do you know like most of them have shitty parks and not great schools and you know their nearest neighbor is not even walkable uh 
it's it's tough growing up in a rural community, man. Like it it's uh you got to get creative with <laughs> you know <laughs> fun with shit. Yeah, with, with fun with shit to do. But I mean, I think that's part of the reason that you know I picked up guitar and started playing music because I I didn't have anything else going on. There was nothing to do. It's not a. It's yeah. You could be doing much worse. So yeah, guitar is not a bad thing to uh, pick up. But uh, actually, you know what? As we're speaking of of like live music and all this, you guys. By the time this comes out, it won't. It'll be happening like a few weeks later. But I know you're doing a record release show. I mean, you talk about that for a second for people who might be in the area. Yeah. Um, so our record release, our the album comes out October twenty second. Um, and then our release party is October 23rd at the Southgate House Revival, which uh, you're from Minneapolis, right? I was I lived there for a year, yeah, so I'm familiar with it. Oh, oh okay, I thought you were from there. Okay, well, anyway, the Southgate House, I was going to compare it to the Triple Rock Social Club. The Southgate House. Oh, man, I miss Triple Rock, Rock, but that I, I always wanted yeah. I wanted to go see uh, D4th of July there, and I never got to see that or any show there. I was very sad. Oh man, yeah, what a great venue. I mean, loved playing there. Um, but the Southgate House is similar for us, except Southgate House tends to, uh, I mean, they're very eclectic with uh, their music. You know, sure, they do a lot of punk shows, but they'll do metal shows. They do a lot of country, Americana. I mean, especially in like recent years, I think the Southgate House has become one of the major hubs for Americana music like across the nation so it's a very very famous well-known venue it just happens to be in our hometown so we're very you know fortunate uh and they've become family to us over the years that actually they helped launch the band they gave us our first show oh nice Um, yeah they uh I, I can't say enough for the community and the owners well, the owner currently is Morella. Uh, she's been one of our biggest supporters, and we've done every record release party we've had since 2005. We've done at Southgate House. Um, so anyway, we're, this is our this is our home turf, our home venue, and uh, so October 23rd is our record release party there. Um, our good friend Veronica Grimm is opening, and uh, one of my favorite bands. Night Beast, they're from yes. Dayton, which Dayton's only 45 minutes, if that, away. Uh, so, yeah, and they're playing as well. I, I have not seen the full bit. Ba- this is how it's been so long. I saw the Night Beast when it was just Nick Testa with a uh, an iPod on stage. I've really? not yeah, I've not right. seen the full band. I would love to see that. The Night Beast rules. I, I love oh, them. Oh, man. That Dude, is going to be a good show. Yeah, they're great. Oh, that that is that is really co- and see that that's rad too because that's an eclectic like lineup like night be- like night beast and five hundred miles to Memphis don't like sound the same but that's I feel like that's gonna work like that's gonna be a really good show like I, I like the I like the diversity of that yeah I I mean I think anyone that's a fan of five hundred is a fan of punk rock uh, so night beast makes sense but we've also played you know with plenty of country bands and rockabilly bands and. I think if you are a fan of 500, your tastes are probably pretty eclectic and maybe lean towards, you know, Americana anyway. So, yeah, it, it definitely works. You do have a but good point. It also that... works against us because, like, 
we're too punk for the country crowd and we're not punk enough for the punk crowd. So <laughs> it's the worst of both worlds. You, well, you do bring up a good point, like, cause, cause I, I could see that where it's like, you have to be kind of open mind, which if you're going to that show, you are open minded with music, but that you do bring up a good point. Cause you are a little bit of both. So if you're a holier than thou punk who like just wants straight punk, you're going to, you know, you might have that. And then if you're just only country and not open minded about anything else, you know, that could be a thing. So the people who do like your music, yeah, I feel like that is true. They probably like, like things from all columns. They're not just pure punk rockers or like pure, you know, like country guys or something. It's like you kind of, you can appreciate just good music basically, you know, if, if you're into your band. Yeah. And you know what I tell people is like, you know, in the end it's all rock and roll, man. It's loud drums, loud guitars. Yeah. There may be steel and fiddle, but I mean, it's all about songwriting and having a good time. And, you know, it's just a loud rock and roll show. So if you're into that, there you go. Maybe you don't want to listen to our records, but I guarantee you'll have fun at one of our shows. Oh, hell yeah. And live show, again, it's like I think I, you were talking about earlier, people are like, I, I like you better live than even, or you sound better live than on record. That's what I think every band wants. Because the live show, I mean, the album's great, but like that's you. That's your raw talent. That's that's you. There, there's not, you can't do a second take on a song live. You're that. That's just you up there. You know, so that's, uh, I don't know, that's very cool. As far as new songs off the new record playing live, what are some new songs that uh, I'll put you on the spot here? What are some songs off new record that you're looking most forward to playing live? There's a few on here where I go, oh, I could see that being a really like even just as a crowd, like a really fun one to see live. Yeah, uh, we well, we've been playing a couple of them live already uh, just to kind of, you know, get warmed up because you, you may learn them in practice. Um, but when you actually take it to the stage, that's when like rubber meets the road and it's like, <laughs> is this going to work? Um, but the one I'm <laughs> most looking forward to is the one like super weird song on the record. Uh, it's called control alt country. Um, and it's the one song on the record that the bandmates let me have like, all right, you can have this one do whatever weird bullshit you want to do and that and but the rest of the record you know like try to like let's try to you know make stuff that people want to listen to uh but this one song is my fucking favorite song i've ever written and it's uh it starts kind of mm, well it starts with synth and it's very like 80s horror movie synth and then it kind of busts into like straight up no effects and offspring. And then you get into this big chorus and it is definitely a weird mix. Uh, but I think it works and I love it. I'm super proud of it. I'm really looking forward to doing that one live. That's awesome. Yeah, that that is a good song. I feel like it fits in the grand scheme of the album. Like, even if you got to like fuck around and do different things, like I feel like it, it fits in everything, even, even with the... Uh, you know, like experimenting, but again, like, I feel like you on this record, you know, still being new to the band, but going through your catalog, it's like, it's, it's still, you know, it's still a 500 miles to Memphis album, but you can tell you guys have like, you know, you've progressed, you've done more. You didn't just go, yeah, that's right. Like more of the same, you know, you kind of, it seems like whether you challenged yourself or just changed it up, it does seem like you did something different on this album. Yeah. And, you know, not that we're special by any means. Uh, I mean, I think every band tries to make every album sound different. Uh, And and we do as well. Uh, You know, I think 
our very the very first record we did was just me trying my best to make a cohesive sound which did not happen <laughs> uh and then our our follow-up record was sunshine in a shot glass which actually was cohesive and and then the album after that was kind of like back into that um which we were talking about you start learning music theory, learning the instrument you're playing, and then all of a sudden you're in this box. And I think that record is, in my opinion, a total fucking train wreck because we're pulling out shit like Sergeant Pepper's meets... I don't even know, dude. <laughs> we were honestly... We, I think we were at the height of our drug and alcohol abuse on that record. And I just think our brain cells were fried. I mean, I know mine <laughs> were. And like, you know, we had like big horn sections on some songs, big string sections on others and like had totally lost the vibe and the sound. But we did get a couple like really solid songs out of that record. Um, I hate that album, but some some of our fans, that's their favorite one. It's just, it's a fucking weird record. Anyway, after that one, we kind of started to get back to the us and like the core sound, the core group of musicians that are in the band, you know, which is me, Noah, Kevin, and David. Um, those were like, those guys are not founding members of the band, but they've been in, I mean, for a, 15 years or longer it's a long uh, time that's a long time to be in yeah those are minus 15 years but but that's the band that i've toured with the most and are my brothers uh and then aaron whalen joined uh god what year did he join 2010 i think he joined or maybe later um but yeah he's definitely been in for over 10 years um and he's a killer fucking guitarist and he's a good songwriter and singer in his own right. Like he's a front man. That's how I met him. Uh, he was a front man for this band six nights alone that we were touring with for a while. And, uh, we had lost a, a guitarist and he was like, Hey, I'll come down and audition. And we were just like, nah, you just join us. You're fine. <laughs> I know you, I know you and I like you, which goes back to that 90% thing. Like yeah. I know you, I like you. I know you know how to play. So he just jumped in the van and his first tour was, I mean, like a two month tour coast to coast. And he just learned the songs on the way. Wow. <laughs> my God. I envy yeah. those people. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, man. I, I think it, it probably took him, it probably took him a week to really get solid on it. But you know, when you're playing the same songs, you know, every night you, you eventually learn them. Um, but yeah, he's, he's killer. I fucking love him. He, I think he's the one last bandmate that I haven't discussed much. Uh, I, well, you know what? Screw it. Let's keep this train going. Aaron Whalen. Uh, he is our lead guitarist. He's been in the band for 10 years. Um, he's from Freeport, Illinois, which, uh, if you know anything about Freeport, it's really close to Rockford, which is home oh, okay. of cheap trick. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, their school mascot is the pretzels, the Freeport Fighting Pretzels. <laughs> the fighting Pretzels? The fucking Fighting Pretzels. That is their mascot. <laughs> like, what? I'm going to have uh, to look yeah. up a picture of this fucking thing. 
we were touring through Freeport and we drove by the high school and in the middle painted in the football field is a giant salted pretzel. I'm like, man, only in the Midwest would this fucking happen. Um, but anyway, uh, so we, we would, uh, that was where Aaron was from. So he would always, we would gig swap and stuff. And he's like, yeah, come play Freeport. They pay an insane amount of money. And again, small town, everyone comes out. So we would play this bowling alley. I mean, I don't know, once every two or three months. And it was killer. Every time we made like some of our best friends ever, we made playing in that town. And, uh, you know, eventually it led to Aaron joining the band. He moved down to our neck of the woods and, you know, really like totally changed the trajectory of his life for us. Oh, you know, shit. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I started thinking about it and it's like, holy shit, this kid was going to school in Davenport or no, I'm sorry, Platteville, Wisconsin. He was going to school and he was like two months away from graduating and all of a sudden joined our band. And which at the time I didn't know, I thought he had graduated college already. Well, he fucking dropped out two months before getting an engineering degree and went on the road with us and never looked back. And he's been in the band ever since he's my brother, you know, it's just, it's been, it's been crazy, but yeah, he changed the trajectory of his entire life. Like <laughs> the day so he joined cool. our band. Oh man. You talk about like, uh, just forks in the timeline of your life. <laughs> that was one for him. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's very crazy when you sit back and think about it. It's like, man, I started this band and it totally changed this guy's life. I don't know if it was for the better, but it completely changed his <laughs> life. And now he lives down here and he, you know, his family's still up in Freeport, which is like, God, eight, nine hour drive away. So the poor guy doesn't really get to see his parents that often. Jeez. And that, I mean, that is dedication yeah. to the fact that, yeah. I mean, he's in it for the long haul. He definitely uh, yep. has committed to it. Mm -hmm. But no, that is, that's cool. I mean, it sounds, you yourself, I mean, I, I think you're a great songwriter. I've been enjoying hearing everything. It sounds like you have a very solid backing, but like not even backing band, just your band is really fucking solid by the sounds of it. And, uh, I mean, that's awesome. I'm excited to uh, hear more. I think people are going to enjoy the uh, new record, which, again, if you're listening to this, it's either going to be out in, like, a week or two, or it's already out, which uh, is coming out on... which. And is this your first uh, release on Paper and Plastic? Uh, this will be our second release on Paper and Plastic, um, kind of. Uh, so... In 2019, we released Blessed Be the Damned ourselves um, and started touring and promoting. And then, like, halfway through 2019, I got to meet Vinny, and I was talking to him, and I was like, hey, man, um, is there any chance, like, you don't have to sign us, you know, like, we don't have to be on your label, but can you pick us up and throw us through your distribution channel. Like I'll pay for everything. I just want to use your distro. And he was very receptive and he just was like, nah, fuck it. I'll it's like, I, I like you guys. I'll sign you. And, uh, could not have been more excited first off to like meet and talk to one of my heroes. Um, but the fact that he liked my music 
and wanted to put it out. It was very humbling. Um, so I wouldn't say that was like a, a full release because it had already been released and promoted. And then he picked it up and gave it like a little extra nudge. But this new album coming out this year uh, is the first like full full on release that we've done with paper and plastic. That's awesome. That's I mean, it's a great label too. He, uh, I, I feel like he. That's a he's he's made one of those labels where I feel like you can kind of trust if something's on it. You can kind of like blindly go and go. Oh, I'm probably gonna like that band. Like if he signed it, it's probably good. I don't feel like he's just thr- you know like just signing any band left and right. Like I feel there's a there's a quality control to there, which is always nice with labels because that's always I love labels like that where you can kind of go like, oh yeah, like I always check out what they put out because I know it's gonna be good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and I think especially back in like the late nineties, there were a lot of labels, like you could be a fan of a label. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if kids these days have that same experience. I I don't know. How old are you? I'm 28. Okay. Well, so you you probably somewhat know what I'm talking about. Oh no, Um, no. I found a lot of them too. Second, like I've, I, which I know what you're talking about. And like all my favorite labels were like the nineties ones. And I secondhand would go get like comps and stuff and discover it that way. And you go, holy shit, totally. all these bands are on this label. Like, fuck yeah, I'm going to check yeah. out like everything Asian Man puts out or fucking like, I mean, any like any of those punk labels. I mean, Fat Records, yeah. Fat Records, I would still say to this oh, day. Oh, dude, they're, I think they're fucking kings. They, they've never released anything that I haven't loved. I would say they may be the only one that is like, one of the only ones that still exists where, yeah, you're just kind of like, there's like a handful for me, but I think in general, fat might be one of the few where I think there's still maybe, I would still think maybe younger generations who are like, oh, fuck yeah, like I'll fuck with anything that's on fat. Like I'll, yeah. I'll listen to or, anything that's put on there. Yeah, I mean, they recently put out The Last Gang. Oh, they're a great band. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love, my God. Yeah, I play their shit on, on, uh, on here the last few years. The one they, 2018, that one they put out. I did see. I'd never heard of them until I don't know, maybe like a month ago. I think they have a new one coming out. I haven't heard that one. Okay, the last one's fucking great. Yeah, they released a single or something like a month ago, and I heard it and I was like, "Oh my god, where has this been my whole life? It's fucking incredible!" And then I see that it's Fat Records. It's like, fuck, of course it's Fat Records. Yeah, I love that. There's still like, yeah, that too. Like, it's not just legacy bands. It's not like just bands that have been on there for years. It's like, oh no, they're still getting like fresh talent and like a fresh like what's currently going on in punk. You know, like I think yeah. I think they were successful at not being too jaded or just living off a legacy because you can do that too. That's the other thing is you had yeah. the legacy of the '90s. You could live off that for the rest of the label's existence if you want to. You could easily do that. But uh, no, I, I yeah, just... it's just that itch to, you know, continue to be creative and continue that that artist's path, you know. And I, I think those labels like Paper and Plastic and Fat, Deep Elm to a degree, um, I, I think those labels are still very much about putting out good art and continuing that push. I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said Deep Elm to a degree. Deep Elm. Period. Yeah, they're a solid uh, label. Yeah. But no, I, I, I do and see, and that's the thing is like all all of them have been around for a while. But yeah, as far as like newer labels, I don't really know many that have like 
are currently popping up. I mean, paper and plastic's still pretty new. I mean, I guess he's been doing that now for, I mean, over a decade, I think. But still, in the scheme of, like, fat and all of those, I would say that's probably the uh, youngest label in all of them. But, like, as far as labels very, very recently, yeah, I don't I don't know that that exists. I hope it, I hope it does. Like, I know it did for me, but a lot of it was secondhand anyways, where you, I kind of looked back and found bands like, oh, shit, like, Look at it, they did everything. Like everything from this decade was amazing. So I don't I don't know. That's a good question. That that I, I do wonder that. I would love to find that out. And I would well, love it, you know, to like I want just because like, you know, we're we're getting a little bit older and you know there's definitely like a generation gap between, you know, the twenty one year olds that are coming to our shows and myself. So like I always kind of wonder like are you guys like what are you guys listening to like how do you stumble upon like what how are they engaged with music the way that i was when i was growing up because like when i when i was growing up like you when you discovered a new band it was like finding buried treasure because music was so it was not readily available like it is now like you had to go to a record store you had to know a friend of a friend they had a mixtape or you know whatever so when you found a band you liked it was like, that was yours. It was your band. And you put in work and effort to find that band. And now you're going to love that band. Uh, whereas today it's like, Hey, here's everything that's ever been released in the world on a silver platter. <laughs> um, you know, just, you know, throw, th- just cast a net and see what comes back. And, uh, and for independent artists like us, you know, you got to hope the algorithms of fucking Spotify are in your favor. And for us, they are not like Spotify still thinks that we're a goddamn country band. So we aren't getting spins on any of the rock alternative or punk uh, playlists. Like we're still getting lumped in, um, you know, with I mean, shit, we're not even getting lumped in with Lucero anymore. Like we're getting lumped in with like bullshit country, which is like that's crazy. I don't, I don't fucking get it. No which, paper and plastic. That was one of the first things that he did is he worked with uh, this distribution, the orchard. Um, He's worked his butt off trying to get to correct that because I don't know how it happened, but it fucking happened. Um, So he's been working his butt off to try to like, like get our, you know, our ship steered in the right direction. That's good. Which I don't. I don't know how to do that stuff. Man. <laughs> I mean, it sucks that you even the the like Spotify. You would hope because that's the. I mean, that's just the main way. I feel like people, you know, consume music now. You would hope they'd have their shit a little more <laughs> together. So I mean, it's good that you have someone stepping in who knows that shit to kind of like you know fix it. Because again, like yeah, there's elements in there, but no, I would think you would fit much better on the punk playlist and shit. I feel like that's where people are really. I feel like that's where you're going to find the audience, not the not the country playlist so much. Yeah, right, exactly. So, I mean, you know, like, you get it. Um, but, like, like I was saying earlier, like, some of, like, our older recordings, you know, we've always tried to release different-sounding albums. And there are some songs that we've released that are just 100% country. And uh, I think some of those songs people latched onto and got thrown on to like some country playlists. So the algorithm started to recognize us as a country band. (laughs) There are some flaws in that fucking algorithm. I fucking hate that algorithm. If you're a country fan and you come to the 500 site and listen 
to our music, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> or you know what? Here, I'm going to I'm going to flip this though. Silver lining, maybe you get country fans, you fucking turn them on to punk. That's what that's what we're hoping here. They find you hey, on there. Sure. Yeah, you turn that shit around, you go, "No, no, no. We're we're going to help you here. We'll 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 uh expose you to some good to some good stuff." So hopefully that happens. But Sure, man. What? Yeah. <laughs> I hope but and I was thinking too, like as we were talking about that, I think like present day comps, I really like for younger people, and I know for me too, YouTube, like kind of even algorithm, like a lot of just recommended videos and random shit is a way I truly think people find bands almost like they used to, like on a comp, because you'll just kind of hit play on like a YouTube playlist. It'll play one band, then it'll play another band who's kind of like them, like another in that vein, and. But also, and I want it because you brought up a few things I love talking about. Another thing, you're totally right. You can have all the music now, but you miss something special with that. Having it all at your fingertips and not having to go like fucking scour record stores to find something or get it special ordered or like, you know, I mean, just finding that stuff anywhere, that's gratifying. There, There's something in that that you just don't get from like clicking around to a few links and going, oh shit, there's a whole album. Like, there we go. Here it is. You know, and yeah. uh, I do. I think you appreciate music more that way. You know, which again, it's kind of nice. It's gotten this way. Like I found so many bands who I probably wouldn't have discovered without the internet, just because they were, you know, twenty years before my time or something like that. But like at the same time, it's like, damn. I also love just going to a record store and blindly buying shit out of a dollar bin, and some of it's good and some of it's bad. And that's there's something about that that's even more gratifying. I think because again. You kind of work for it. You go, ah, this looks good. It's a dollar. Yeah. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. Like, who knows? Same with the label thing. You go through those go, well, <clears> fuck, <throat> it came from this label. I'll check it out. It's a dollar. Like, it came on fat. I've never heard of the band, but it's probably good. Well, and you bring up a point, too. Um, you know, like going to your local record store, which is still relevant today, um, because if you have a good, which, you know, most cities do have at least a good record store. Cincinnati has a couple. Uh, one of which is Shake It Records. It's the only. And I love that record store. I bet I've, the only one I've been, been up there. there. I love it. Oh, and okay. let me tell you, everyone I asked, I've only been in Cincinnati once, but everyone I asked what record stores to go to, first word out of their mouth, Shake It Records. Like I had like li- four yeah. people told me that. I'm like, okay, that's my first stop. I had I, obviously that's where I go, and did not disappoint. Amazing fucking record store. Well, for if your first stop is Shake It, your second stop definitely has to be Everybody's Records, which is equally great um, in a different part of town. But anyway, we're lucky enough that we have two. So my point is, I think record stores are still extremely relevant today, not only you know to go get vinyl that's hard to get anywhere else. Um, and I personally don't want to buy vinyl online and have it shipped sitting on my front porch baking in the sun all day. Oh, yeah. Um, they are absolute tastemakers. They are music nerds. As much as I'm a Star Wars nerd, those guys are music nerds, and they know everything about anything you want to know. So if you walk in there and you're just like, hey, um, I really like, I don't know, name a band. And they'll be like, okay, well, if you like that, then maybe and go down the list. Like, you might like this, this, this. You like Super Drag? Maybe you're going to like this, this, and that. And and they always do a good job of like pushing some local bands as well. And like, they're always going to push like underground stuff 
and stuff that's not in the mainstream, which is, you know, really where the good art lives. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I, I think that's the greatest value of, you know, the record store today is, you know, just asking questions to the people that work there. You know, like if you're in the punk and all you know is Green Day, they're going to be able to help you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the other thing, too, if you're working in a record store like that, yeah, like you're like you probably want that. Like they probably would love someone like a teenager to come up and go, hey, I'm getting into like this. Ju- like I'm getting into punk and I know this one band. Where should I go from there? Those you probably fucking love it. Like I get to help this. You know what I mean? Like I get to like help them find the next step like that. That's so you know, that's fun on the other side is that as well. Yeah. Well, um, like w- one of the stories that I hear all that just like really stuck with me. I don't know if you know this band called the Tillers. No, but they're uh, they're from Cincinnati. But I mean, they're they're pretty big, but they're like a folk bluegrass ish band. Um, and they're just amazing songwriters. But the lead singer of that band's name is Mike Oberst. And he was talking about Shaked Records in an interview. And he was like, yeah, I was like 16. And I went in and they suggested this comp of, you know, this like traditional folk bluegrass music. And I listened to that record nonstop for years and it completely changed my life. And, you know, he went from playing in punk bands and and mess halls to being like one of the best bluegrass musicians, I think, in the world. That's amazing. All from the, again, without that record store. A record store, yeah. That, yeah, the importance of that. You really like, you put a smile on my face because I love record stores. You do. You remind like the magic of it, you know, not to even sound cheesy, but it's like, goddamn, like if you love music, record store is the greatest place. Like, including those independent ones like that. Like, that's my first stop in a city. I want to go to the best record. Like, where are your best record stores? That's where I want to go. Like, where, where, I don't care if it's a hole in the wall. If they got a good selection, I want to go there. Like, I want to go check it out. I'm sure you get a lot touring. Uh, you, you would think, but when you're on tour, you're just like you're bouncing from town to town. You're not really That's getting true. to spend spend much time, you know, seeing the sights. Uh, unless you happen to stay with like a friend that gives you like a quick tour around the town. Um, but no, honestly, I, I haven't really gotten to spread my wings and check out different record stores. I mean, it's it's mostly food. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to take you to the local cuisine here. We're going to get this X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, Yeah, shit like that. that Yeah, back to the record store thing. Uh, So, and not that Shake It has ever been bad about this, but like as a teenager, you go into a record store and it can be a little intimidating because there are music snobs, you know, and it's oh, like, God, I'm kind of, kind of afraid to ask because they're going to think I'm a stupid kid. And it's like, yeah, maybe you are a stupid kid, but we've all been stupid kids. And if just break the ice, ask, ask, just ask someone that works there. They will be more than happy to help you. Yeah, you're right. And you are, you're right on both parts. Cause it's like, you can go and some, you go, Oh yeah, I feel like, I feel like I'm being judged in here, but it's like, he's got to get over that. They're fucking, they, they love music as much as you do. They want to help. And not every store is like that anyway, but I do know what you mean because, again, it's the same reason why they probably want to help you. If you're working in a record store, you're probably, you probably like music more than the average person. You know what I mean? Like, you don't just yeah. kind of like music. You probably really fucking love it. 
Yeah, I, I don't even think I like music that much. <laughs> <laughs> I think those guys like music way more than I do. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I – uh, and you're right. I mean, the importance of record stores, I, I love them. And it is good, It is good too, that they do seem – I mean, hopefully they, they continue to stick around. But it does seem like even, even in, like, 2021, you'd still find good record stores in cities. Like, it's not like a lost thing. Like, you can still go to a place and find a really fucking good one. And I mean, Shake It's been there. I think for I take it forever. I mean that that's a that that's yeah. been there for like decades and shit. So it's like it's great to have something like that to uh, you know you can kind of always hopefully always depend on it being there. You know, like I I know next time I'm in Cincinnati, it's like oh yeah, I'll go to Shake It Records. Like I'm thinking of shit to do, go to Shake It Records. That's like the first you know it's my first thought. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I I would say anyone that's listening to this podcast is probably a music fan. And well aware of what we're discussing right now. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully they enjoy You know what I mean? That's why I like talking about this shit because you're right. Again, it's like, yeah, you're kind of talking to – I would assume anyone listening to this, yeah, is like, I I would hope you have interest in music. I mean, if you're listening this long, I, I would think, yeah, you'd like music to a, to some kind of degree. But, uh, yeah, I, I fucking love – I love talking about this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, Shake It Records really good. I gotta, I gotta try it. What was the other record store you said in uh, Cincinnati? Uh, everybody's Records, which I believe Everybody's has been around as long. Oh shit! Okay, so that's, I, so yeah, so I, I have to check that out next time I'm there. And anyone listening, if you're, uh, if you go up there, those are both two ones to check out. But uh, I mean, man, this has been great. You know, as we, as we close this up, the new record coming out, Hard to Love. Where can people go find the record? Where can they find you guys online? You know, like like all that good stuff. Where where can people they enjoy this now? Where do they find you? Well, um, I when the vinyl so the vinyl comes out um, early twenty twenty two. So when that comes out, you should be able to go to your local record store and pick that up. Um, but. In the meantime, you know, it'll be on every streaming platform. If you just want to stream it, uh, you can buy CDs. Like we did, we have, we did print CDs and there's also uh, a record label up in Chicago called Sexy Baby Records that's releasing it on cassette. Nice. Um, so we're hitting all the mediums, CD, vinyl, cassette, uh, and then obviously digital streaming. Um, but the best place to go, if you want info on us, is 500mtm.com. Uh, that's got all our stuff. And uh, we, we run our own merch store. So, like, if you buy a T-shirt from our website, I literally walk into my garage, grab that T-shirt, pack it up, and mail it to you. Like, we, we don't have fucking people that do this shit for us. We do everything ourselves. And we keep, you know, we keep all that money. So when you buy from our website, that's ours. That doesn't go anywhere, and that doesn't touch anyone else's hands but mine and my bandmates. Awesome, yeah, DIY as hell, yeah. Go straight, uh, go straight to the band and go find all that stuff there. We are, I mean, Ryan, this has been great. I've been enjoying this. I hope everyone's been enjoying it. Um, we're gonna play some songs off a couple of the singles that are out so far off of a hard to love. And once that's out, go check out the rest of the stuff. But right now, we're gonna play Drop Out to uh, open up the music right here on the Power Chord Hour.
from Less Than Jake, and you're listening to The Power Chord Hour! Nice!
right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. That was 500 Miles to Memphis with A Pound of Flesh. And before that was 500 Miles to Memphis with Drop Out, both off their upcoming record, Hard to Love. I will tell you, I have heard the whole thing. It is amazing. I love it and uh, can't wait for the rest of you to hear it. It is out October 22nd on a paper and plastic records very very great record label uh Vinny has you know he's still you know fueled by ramen you know obviously a lot of huge bands and he was always really good at uh signing bands obviously and uh, he's still doing that if you didn't know with paper and plastic and doing a damn fine job with that uh if you couldn't tell right there 500 miles to memphis a, a great band on their roster which i wish i would i really did i've only just started uh listening to them i discovered them I, I guess it was like late July. I mean, I heard that. So really, I mean, a few months ago and uh, absolutely great. I love the band. Uh, I'm listening to them a bunch now since doing this interview and during it. You know, like when I'm doing, when I'm getting ready, I'm writing questions and shit. I'll definitely kind of get in that mood where like, you know, I'll listen to a lot of whoever I'm about to interview. But, uh, you know, like, like with this one, it's like it kind of clicked and like doing it. I'm like, oh, shit, like I haven't stopped since. Like I'm just listening to tons of uh, 500 miles to Memphis. So I'm I'm very excited for the new record to come out. I hope all of you are as well. Maybe it is out now when you're listening to this. But, uh, yeah, it is going to be good stuff. Couple, couple of good records that day. Uh, Dave McWayne from Big D and, the kids, and uh, the Kids Table, Do Your Art, comes out on the 22nd as well, who we just had on a few weeks ago. So some good records to look forward to at the end of this month coming up. But, yeah, I want to thank uh, Ryan again for uh, calling in. That was awesome. I had a blast talking to him about uh, you know the new record and a whole lot more. I mean, we got into tons of stuff. And uh, I have a feeling that won't be the last time he's on. You know, I mean, when when you mesh so well with someone like that and you have such a good time talking to him, definitely don't want that to be the last time. I'm sure you'll hear Ryan on here again sometime. But, uh, yeah, really cool. Enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as uh, I did doing it. But is that it? That is going to be it for the Power Court Hour podcast for this week. Thank you so much for checking it out. And if you want to follow us online, we are at Power Chord Hour on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us on Spotify. Obviously, you can find the podcast there. Maybe you're listening to it right there right now. But uh, you can also find the playlist. I put up a new playlist every week from the radio show. So uh, if you don't follow the radio show, which uh, that is new episodes every Friday night, 10 to midnight Eastern on a 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. But if you don't listen to that, you can uh, still hear all the songs I play on that Spotify playlist. But if you want to check out the radio show, check that out, like I said, every Friday night. And uh, you can listen to that from anywhere in the world on uh, WRFALP.com. And uh, you can stream the uh, station on there and check out the radio show. New ones every Friday night. Five years now of doing the radio show. I uh, I can't believe that. I can't believe, though, you know, the podcast, we're, we're creeping up there to two-year anniversary. So uh, wild, wild on both accounts. But, yeah, if you want to hear the radio show, you want to follow us on social media, hear our playlist on Spotify, we're all around. Hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. I got free Power Chord Hour stickers for you. Would love to send you some. And if you listen to the radio show, too, send me song requests. You know, let me know what you'd like to hear on the show, and uh, I will I'll more than likely play it. 99% play it unless you... Uh, I don't know, unless you like ask for like some Sam, like if you ask for Sammy Hagar, I won't tell you to fuck off, but like I'll be thinking in my head as I like send you a nicer written email. You know, I won't say fuck off, but I might be like, yeah, maybe, maybe not that one. 
But uh, yeah, you know, and that's what you always want to tell people. You're like, you know, send in your song quest, send in your song request. There's a chance I'll tell you to fuck off in my head. But uh, no, hit me up. I would love to play. Uh, I would love to play something for you if you listen to the radio show. And uh, yeah, that is it for my spiel. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and rate. Uh, you know, rate and review helps a lot. We have a few on there. We could definitely use some uh, more reviews wherever you listen to your podcast. But uh, I definitely am looking at uh, Apple Podcasts. So I mean, if you want to throw one up there, that would greatly be appreciated. And, uh, you know, email me be like, yo, I, I, uh, you know, I reviewed that and everything. And I mean, I'll send you stickers either way, but if you tell me that I'll probably throw in some extra stickers and, uh, maybe, maybe throw in some power chord hour guitar picks that I don't really send out anymore. But, uh, yeah, that is going to be it until next week. So tune back in next week for another one, but until then for the power chord hour podcast, I'm Anthony merchant. Thank you so much for listening.